welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you, Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Ah, I'm doing good today. Excellent. That's that's what I like to hear, Bill. Good morning. That's what I like to hear. We've got a wonderful show lined up for everyone. We're going to have uh, some tax strategies that you're going to give us, Bill. Uh, we'll do that a little bit later in the program. We'll talk about some income tax. You warned us on some thir- certain things, and we'll go over that. But let's start with uh, our first topic today, Bill. And I've, I guess starting with the first topic is a, a logical place to start. That's the only place you can start. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but this is one of the one of the things that come to my mind first when I think about asset protection, and that's trusts. That's right. I get a lot of questions about trusts, and I get an, a a lot of folks uh, have a fairly simple question, and that is, should I use a trust or should I use a will? And um, and so what they're really saying is, tell me about trust and what what are are is there an advantage to using a trust over a will for most people in their planning? And like a lot of things, there are uh, many. Um, perceptions about trusts that are just wrong. And the first for the first thing is that uh, most of us think that trusts are tools or vehicles that are used only by very rich families, okay? And that is the first falsehood. <laughs> now, there was a time when that was true, when I started as a Uh, tax and trust uh, planner as an attorney, an estate planner, Um, way back in the dark ages, the banks really controlled trusts. And uh, uh, there were two banks in North Carolina that actually uh, published the language that most trust attorneys used. That was BB&T. Uh, which has been in the news recently uh, in terms of merging uh, with SunTrust or actually buying SunTrust and combining the banks, uh, and Wachovia. Now, that I'm talking about back in the time when Wachovia truly was Wachovia, not you know, way before First Union bought them out and way before they went out of business and way before Wells Fargo just took them over. But, so the bottom line was Wachovia and BB&T controlled the trust language. There wasn't anything else available to trust attorneys to use. And of course, those documents were very pro-bank. Thou shalt appoint Wachovia as as your trustee, and you'll never be able to get rid of us. Uh, So back then, uh, clearly, wealthy families did use trust because you could do a whole lot of things with trust that you couldn't do with a will. And quite frankly, back then, and this was before computers and at the the dawn of computers. Uh, So you didn't have word processing. And wills back then tended to be very short documents. And by short, I mean two or three pages. Um, And that was it. uh, Because (laughs) back then, uh, we didn't have computers. Uh, We... we, um, had typewriters. The most sophisticated thing in our law office was a IBM Selectric II typewriter, <laughs> and they were really good typewriters. But uh, as a result, uh, the the documents tended to be very short and not particularly sophisticated, just direct 
uh, if you will, no contingencies, those kind of things. Now, today, a will can be much longer than it used to be because it's just paper, it's word processing. However, uh, a will has to be probated, it has to be administered by the court, uh, and uh, that can be problematic for a lot of families. So trusts are an alternative um, that allows property to be passed from one generation to another or to spouses um, or to generations down the line privately, you know, without court supervision, without the costs of court supervision, and it gives families privacy. Well, you don't have to be rich or even well-to-do to where those things might make a difference to you because everyone, with any sense, likes to have privacy. <laughs> and everybody likes to avoid uh, costs that they don't have to pay. So what is a trust? I mean, you'd be surprised. Uh, well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but most folks just don't have a clue what it is. Well, it's not a will, It's but it it's in essence, it's a contract. It's a it's an agreement. Now, most contracts are two ways. You know, you have two parties and they agree to something and they write it up into a paper writing that's called it's an agreement and it's legally binding if it's done correctly. Well, same things with the trust, except a trust is a three-way contract, but the the people involved in the three-way can actually be the same person. And that's where it gets really confusing to folks. So in essence, with every trust, you have three parties or three hats involved, okay? You have a person who creates the writing, uh, that creates the agreement, and that person can be, and this can be confusing to folks too, it's called different things by different uh, scriveners, if you will. I like the term grantor because people tend to know what that means. But other terms that are used for it are trustor, settlor, settlor and trustmaker. Now, trustmaker tends to be something – yeah, I understand what that means. Uh, grantor, trustmakers are the, the words I like, but I, you know, I see settlor and trustor all the time. Uh, now, then you have um, the, the people that you're trying to take care of, and oftentimes that part, part of that is yourself, <laughs> okay? Sometimes it's only yourself, um, and that's the beneficiary of the agreement, okay? Just like a, any old contract tends to have parties who benefit by that agreement. Well, in a trust, you, you call that the beneficiary, that's a hat. And then you have a third, which is a trustee. Now, the trustee is actually a legal fiduciary responsible for accepting the money or property, managing the money or property, and then using the money or property for the benefit of guess who? The beneficiary. So the trustee... Uh, now, what is interesting for a lot of folks is that you can have the same person wear all three hats. So I can be the grantor or trustmaker of a trust. 
I can appoint myself as the trustee in charge of the trust, and I can also make myself the beneficiary of the trust, okay? (laughs) And that's what we call a revocable trust because the Internal Revenue Service and the Department of Revenue in North Carolina will ignore the fact that I have created for myself this kind of arrangement. But that's what a trust is. It's an arrangement. Okay, it's an agreement. Now, the IRS says, well, we're going to ignore it because it's all about you and you still have total control of your property and you're the person who benefits by it. Makes a lot of sense. Well, we call that a pass-through entity as, um, as a trust agreement. And guess what the IRS says? They say, thou shalt use your social security number. In other words, don't confuse us by sending us a a separate tax return. If you create a trust like this, you use your own social security number and you keep paying your taxes and filing your taxes the same way you always have, right? Okay, so now you might say, well, why is that legal? (laughs) Well, It's truthfully, trust law has been in existence longer than our will-based laws. And our will-based laws have been in existence for hundreds of years. Trust-based law is actually older than that. It it comes from English common law. Um, And so it was law that built up over many, many years. And Now, um, and this was just passed a few years ago in North Carolina, we have the Uniform Trust Code. So it's laws that North Carolina has passed specifically about how trusts work in North Carolina. And they're uniform. That means that most of the other states in the United States has passed similar, not identical, but very similar laws based on the same set of rules so that most people are playing by the same rules. Now, you also have to understand that trusts are um, recognized and legal in most Western countries like Europe, Australia, Canada, (laughs) but they're not recognized everywhere. So you have to be careful if if you've got international connections and things like that. Um, Now, um, so, it, but the bottom line is that you here. I said that word again. You're supposed to you, ring your buzzer, Bill. You went, <laughs> you went 11 minutes straight without doing it. That's a new record. I think. Pat yourself I on the find, back. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, uh, the, okay. So there's privacy with using it. There's uh, where you can avoid the cost of probate and court administration by using a trust. But there are many, many, many other advantages with a trust. Number one, you can create a disability plan for you, uh, which is very, very different than, than appointing someone your agent under a power of attorney. Appointing an agent authorizes people to do things, whereas, but it doesn't give them any instructions on how to do what you want them to do. A trust actually um, pushes the trustee into a position where they have to follow your directions. It's a contract. It's an agreement where the trustee agrees to follow the terms that you've set out in your agreement. 
And you can set up your own disability plan, which basically, I mean, and in most cases, the majority of folks, what do they want? What do we all want? We want to be able to to remain independent. We want to remain in control of our, our bodies and ourselves and where we live. And for most of us, we want to stay at home. Even if it costs more than going to the assisted living facility, we really want the care. And if we can afford it, in other words, if we have the financial wherewithal to pay for that added layer of care at home, we can direct our trustee to make darn sure I stay at home with one-on-one care and it gets paid for, even if my children don't inherit as much. (laughs) So, uh, you know, the fact is, if you um, just have a power of attorney and you've appointed your children as your agent and you get to the point where you're no longer have the ability to make decisions for yourself, your children can basically make whatever decisions in their best interest even though they still have a fiduciary duty they they can say oh you need to be over here to be safe because it, it saves us two or three thousand dollars a month you see as, as opposed to actually paying for 24 7 care in your home so what i'm getting at now the other thing about disability plans is that there might be some things that are very important to you just in terms of your style of life that your children don't know about or don't appreciate. And it can be simple things like, I want a bowl of of cherry vanilla ice cream every afternoon, or I want my glass of wine, or I want to be able to watch the football games or the basketball games, or I want to go to the games. I have season tickets and I've had them for 50 years and you better make sure I get to go to the games. Or on another level, it might be, I want someone to take me to church every Sunday. I want uh, someone to uh, uh, allow me to go to my bridge club, book club, garden club, uh, wherever it is. Even if you know I have to go in a wheelchair and somebody has to drive me and somebody has to stay with me so that I can enjoy those things. You can put that in a trust where you can't do it in a will, you see, and and sadly, um, most trusts are not well written. <laughs> That's uh, it's it, you know there are many many trusts out there that were written exclusively to avoid probate and give a family privacy, but it doesn't do anything else. And so you're you're missing so many of the advantages that a trust can actually give you. Now I know I've talked too long, and you need to take a break. But I, I want to continue down this track to tell folks a little bit more about trusts. Um, and so stay with me. Well, we will continue our conversation on trusts. We'll get into tax strategies a little bit later in the program as well. Maybe you have a trust, you want it reviewed, or maybe you're interested in setting up your own trust. You might want to get a hold of Bill. You can go online to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. Or you can call his office, 919 256 7,000 to set up an appointment. 919-256-7000. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. (music) 
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you so much for joining us. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're having a conversation about trusts. And Bill, you were just explaining uh, how trusts and wills differ are different, and there's uh, there's more that we need to discuss on the subject. Well, no question about it. Uh, number one, um, if you had a trust done, let's say ten years ago or longer than that. Uh, the first thing is you should have it reviewed by an experienced trust attorney. Now, obviously, that's something that we do at W.G. Alexander and Associates, but we're not the only ones. <laughs> We'd like you to think we're the only ones out there, but but the bottom line is that – and there I go again. I said it. Go ahead and hit the buzzer. Um, well, I, I got to bite my tongue. Those are the two that I got to avoid. Okay. Um, the, the laws have changed a lot in the last 10 years, and I can tell you as a trust lawyer that I set up lots of trusts back uh, before uh, the turn of the century and the 10 years following the turn of the century that are not the way I structure trust today for the majority of my clients. And uh, most families that had their trust done in the um, between 2000 and 2010 or earlier have time bombs in their trusts that are totally unexpected for the families. The tax exemption for estate tax has risen dramatically to where only the richest of the rich have to even worry about a state tax. And back in the um, uh, 20th century, uh, our, almost any middle-class family had to worry about a state tax. And so we had tools that we used as trust lawyers to give you an estate tax plan that you don't need anymore. And for a lot of families, that really screws things up for the the surviving spouse. And it really depends on how large the trust is. But, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about families that have less than a million dollars, and it may be that the surviving spouse needs every penny of that, and they find that they're having to deal with an irrevocable trust that was set up in their spouse's trust. And that trust was you know, for a lot of folks, it was it was set up to avoid probate and to uh, give the family privacy and to give them a tax plan. Um, so uh, the bottom line, there we go. I did it again. Yeah, I've but you, got, you caught yourself. I, you I, caught, I caught myself that time. Um, it, so in essence, you really should have your trust reviewed. And, and quite frankly, so, so many of the trusts I review are just horribly written. And uh, you could do so much better with a well-drafted trust. Uh, so if, if it was written uh, in a different state and you've moved to North Carolina, that's another good reason for having uh, it reviewed. Uh, and again, sometimes trusts, uh, the trusts that I do for the most part are written in a way that will work in any other state. But there are lots of trusts that come to us from other states where they're not written that way. They're written particularly for that state, and it needs some changes to it. Uh, any family that uh, has 
uh, a complicated situation. And by complicated, I'm saying second marriage, third marriage, children by different uh, spouses, uh, you know, not the old Ozzie and Harriet, we've been married for 70 years and, <laughs> you know, kind of situation. Now, those folks can oftentimes use a trust, too, for different reasons. Uh, but um, uh, but if you have a complicated situation or if you're well-to-do or if you own property in more than one state, it's crazy not to have a trust if you own property in more than one state because if you die without a trust, then you have two separate probates, one for each state, and your the costs just go up astronomically. And while probate in North Carolina or in administration in North Carolina is not outrageously expensive compared to some other states. If you're in the wrong state, it can be outrageously expensive, and and you, your family just gets totally screwed financially. So it's another reason uh, for doing it. But, uh, you know, I talked about a disability plan. Most of the trusts that I review do not have a disability plan in it, and that's, that's a real um, sad thing. For those who have a, a nice estate to leave to their children, most of my clients like to leave asset protection trusts for their children. So it's a continuing trust that, uh, that they can set up for their children so that they know that the inheritance is going to go to their own children and grandchildren and not to a spouse of their children. You know. I hate to say it, but a lot of the reasons we know the divorce rate is high and we don't want what we've worked for to go to our child's spouse in a divorce. Well, by creating an asset protection trust for them, we don't have to worry so much about the spouse taking the inheritance away from our child. And and that quite frankly, resonates with many of my clients because they don't want to see that happen. Or we may be unfortunate to have a child who has issues, has a spendthrift problem. You know, they spend too much money. Uh, Or they can't manage their property. Or maybe they have a drug habit or an alcohol problem or gambling problems or reasons why they shouldn't be managing property. Well, You can create a trust for those children, those problem children, uh, and uh, protect them from themselves, which can be extremely helpful. Um, uh, So you can have reasons, and and you might say, well, who's going to be the trustee? Is it going to be that bank that's going to charge us a lot of money? That's pretty rare. In almost all of the cases, as long as you have a trustworthy person, a, a family member that can manage property well and, is, and there's you know, not dysfunction in the family, you can name your own children as their own trustees. You can, uh, of course, have them have co-trustees. You can do a lot of things that will protect your family. But you also can do good tax planning, not just not just estate tax planning, but income tax planning with trusts as well. Because most of what I've been talking about is creating an, a revocable trust for yourself and an irrevocable trust for your children and grandchildren that can be extremely beneficial to them. So if folks, we would like 
to uh, encourage folks to come see us if they have a trust or if they're considering a trust um, because I've been doing them for many, many years, and there's just so many holes in most of the trusts that I uh, review, and we could do so much better. <laughs> uh, and also with any kind of planning, you you shouldn't just think it's one and done. You should have your legal documents reviewed from time to time. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. And if you want to get a hold of Bill, you can schedule an appointment to see him by calling 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000, or you can go online to wgalaw.com. A quick break and back, you're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong, thanking you for joining us this morning. And uh, we're going to shift into a discussion on tax strategies. But before that, Bill, I was talking to you during the break. I was peppering you with questions. And I had one more question about trust before we move on. Mm-hmm. And that was, what happens if your trustee dies or something, they're incapacitated? Well, it's just like, uh, any. well, a trust... It never fails for lack of a trustee. You can always have an additional trustee appointed. And, of course, what we like to do in our planning is we appoint our primary, the person we expect to be the trustee, and then we appoint a successor and sometimes two or three successor trustees. If this person can't do it, then we want someone else to do it. And a well-drafted trust will also have, okay, what if we haven't named somebody, even if we've named three or four potential trustees, the trust should have language in it, okay, what do we do if there's not one? And typically, a a well-drafted trust will say that the income beneficiaries of the trust can then name a trustee. And a, a better drafted trust will give parameters on how they name them and, and who they can name and whether they can name themselves as trustee. <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, so that's how it works. Now, uh, let me also mention this because this is something that I see occur frequently. Because you have to understand that trusts, once you've got them created and funded, they're easy. It's just like not having a trust in terms of what you're, how you're managing your property and spending the income and assets as you wish. When a person dies, a trust keeps on going. You just have a successor trustee. And so the mistake that so many families make is they don't do anything when one of the spouses dies or when the second spouse dies. It's because, hey, we, we're named as the successor. Let's keep on going. But the problem is they never read the trust, the trust agreement, and they, they don't do what the trust requires them to do. And so what I'm saying is when you have a trust and a spouse dies, you need at that time to seek counsel of, uh, again, a trust attorney, one who deals in trust. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, families go to their old family lawyer 
uh, could be a, a good lawyer, well-respected lawyer, but they don't know a darn thing about trusts. And oftentimes those attorneys, unfortunately, give you very poor advice. You need to have an attorney who does trust administration because there are a lot of requirements, most from the Internal Revenue Service, that has to be accomplished when a spouse dies. And there are time periods. There are a lot of things that have to be done within nine months of the death. And that's true when you don't have a trust as well. It's just that when you don't have a trust, you're forced into the court system and they force you to do the things that you're supposed to do. When you have a trust agreement, you don't have that strong arm saying you got to get this done, go do it. So families need to recognize that there's there's a huge uh, problem that they're creating if they don't see somebody that can help them through that process when a spouse dies. Yeah, it's a lot that you have to consider. And boy, uh, there's some ramifications if you don't consider those is what you were hinting at, Bill. All yes, right, sir. let's get to income tax and tax right. strategies. Okay, well... I hate to say I told you so. <laughs> you did tell us, Bill. But, uh, you, you know, a lot of folks are very, very disappointed at this point. We're just seeing that the folks are just filing their taxes and seeing what their refunds are. And, and there are an awful lot of disappointed folks out there because people who uh, last year did not have to pay uh, income tax are paying income tax. And folks who got a big refund last year are getting no refund or a very little refund this year or not anything close to what they did. Now, why did that happen? You know, all of the economists are out there telling you that the majority of Americans really get a, did get a tax break. And there's some, there is a half truth embedded in there. Um, uh, and the, but what in, what happened was the Internal Revenue Service they changed the withholding tables and what I said last year was be real careful because that the tax the taxes were going to be pretty much the same for almost everybody and your and if your employer started. Uh, withholding less based on the new tables that you were going to have trouble this time of year. And that's exactly what people are experiencing. So if, if you're one of the unfortunate few that's really unhappy with your um, the fact that you're having to pay tax there this year, you need to go back to your employer and to withhold uh, more of your income, uh, pretty much the um, probably the amount that was withheld last year instead of this year, because uh, most Americans, uh, uh, the the Tax Reform Act really and truly did not change uh, how much tax they paid to any significant extent, maybe a few dollars. Well, anytime Congress messes with taxes, you know, Tax Reform Act, there are winners and losers. There are people who will pay more and others who will pay less. So uh, if you want to really get down to who the winners and losers are, it's real simple. I mean, if you're listening, the big winners are the folks who make a ton of money, the, the, the big income uh, uh, people. Uh, who are used to paying taxes, 
uh, because their incomes are so high. High-income wage earners and other uh, high-income people got a huge tax break, and middle-class folks, uh, normal taxpayers, particularly the ones who in the past itemized, those folks, for the most part, are the ones who are going to pay a good bit more in income tax. Even if their rate went down by 1%, because there was a, a rate adjustment from 25% to 24%, but the other changes that they made in the tax code basically meant that most people who in past years itemized, and they're not itemizing this year, will actually pay more dollars in tax. And that's assuming their income is exactly the same. Even though their rate went down, their taxes went up. And, <laughs> and that's really sad. Um and it it can even affect uh, seniors, you know, who um, have huge uh, health care expenses, and so they had uh, huge itemized deductions. Uh, and even though it sounds like the tax laws are the same, you you have uh, as it relates to your deduction, and you still itemize because you have fifty thousand dollars of. Uh, uh, of itemized deductions for healthcare expenses, you're actually getting uh, the the percentage might be the same, but because they took away your personal exemptions, um, you're actually uh, your deduction is worth less this year than it was last year. So if you had the same amount this year you, uh, than last year, you you might end up having to pay tax this year where you didn't have to pay tax last year. Because anybody who itemizes is actually losing some of the deduction that they had last year because of the elimination of the personal exemptions. Um, so th- th- may, they may not be losing as much as they think, but at the same time, it's it's not a level game. It's There are winners and losers, and that's just the way it is. Now, there are... Uh, 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 what, one of the things that I have mentioned to those folks who are on the margins of uh, itemizing or not itemizing, you know, a married couple has a $24,000 standard deduction today. A single person has a $12,000 standard deduction today. No personal exemption. So guess what? You have to have itemized deductions that are greater than $24,000 before you would itemize. So guess what? There are a lot of families that used to itemize in order to lower their income taxes that will not itemize now. And and that's, you know, so those folks uh, are, again, uh, those, those are the ones who are probably going to pay a little more in income tax this year than they did last year because of the change in, in how that is uh, added and subtracted. And that's important. So for those folks who are in that category, in other words, they're close to where they could itemize, but it doesn't make sense this year. Those are the folks that should bundle. (laughs) And by bundling, I mean paying your itemized uh, expenses as much as you can in one year and not the other year. 
So you take the standard deduction one year and you itemize the second year. In other words, uh, you know, uh, some bills that you could pay, health care bills or uh, property taxes, you push them all into the same year. So you pay your property tax in January uh, for last year, and then you pay them in December uh, for this year. And that way you bundle them into one year. So one year you take your itemized deductions, and the second year you take your standard deduction. And that's that will be helpful for a lot of families. And I know uh, that we need to take another break. But I, for those uh, business owners and professional service people like uh, physicians and dentists and architects and attorneys and small business people, there is a new deduction if you understand how it works. You can use that new law, but you have to own your own business. And so obviously that that leaves a lot of folks out. But for those folks who own their own business, there is a deduction that you need to know about because you need to take action now so as to maximize uh, that deduction for yourself. And I'll explain that when we come back. All the business owners are are sitting in their seats. They're (laughs) anxious now, Bill. And we'll we'll give them that tip right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we were talking about some tax strategies. And just before the break, you were saying that there's a deduction that business owners need to know about. Absolutely. And it's a, it's this is one that they need to get their arms around right away. Uh, it's called the 199A deduction. So what is it? It, it for business owners, uh, it is a twenty percent deduction off of your business income. Now, twenty percent is a lot of money, <laughs> so it's worth paying attention. <laughs> okay, so now what does it require? Now, obviously, these are business owners that do fairly well financially. And so the, the, there is a key number, which is $315,000. Now, you have to understand, I'm not talking about just your business income, but your, your income and your spouse's income from all sources. So you have business income included in there. And let's say, you might even be drawing Social Security, or you might be drawing a pension, or you might uh, have rental income, or you, in other words, you could have income from a lot of different sources. And so you have to add all of that stuff up, and you can see that in your income tax return this year. And if all of your income is less than $315,000, then you get 20% off the top of your business income, well, that can save you a ton of money because business owners have flexibility in what they can spend and not spend, okay? Um, Now, 
the other number to know is the high number, and that is if your income from all sources is over four hundred and fifteen thousand uh, dollars, then it is likely that you will not get any deduction whatsoever. So you got twenty percent at one end and no deduction at the other end. So if you're under thrift three fifteen, no problem. If you're over thrift three fifteen then the question is, can you get your income under 315 so you get the full 20%? And you may say, well, why would I want to lower my income? Well, I'm not – look at it this way. Um, it might make a difference as to whether or not you make a substantial contribution to what? your retirement account because that takes income off of the top. So, you know, it may be that you're only uh, contributing $10,000 to your retirement account when you might be able to re, uh, contribute, you know, 24000 or even more to your retirement account or contribute to your your spouse's retirement account. Um, and, and so... Um, what I'm getting at is there are ways that you can lower your income. For some business owners, you will find that they have uh, better options if they convert their LLC to a sub-S. And there are others who need to convert from a sub-S corp to an LLC to better utilize this 20% deduction. But, you know, when you're talking about saving uh, 20% of tax – on your business income, you know, that, that can be an extra $20,000 or more in your pocket uh, if you do it right. So planning, strategizing to make sure that your income uh, works uh, in this area. Now, there's some other complexities to this. So the CPAs really need to, to get their arms wrapped around this because this, this should be the, the uh, CPA uh, – act in helping your clients to get this 199A deduction because there's so many things that you can do to save your business clients um, a ton of money, not just a little bit, uh, but doing things a little bit differently so that they can capture the full deduction. This is huge. That's wonderful advice. And Bill, we thank you for that. We've got one more break to take and we'll wrap up the program right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Uh, just enough time here to remind you that uh, you can go online to WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website, WGALaw.com. Bill, you've got some wonderful podcasts there for folks to listen to if they want to catch up on some tips from you. Um, this is a wonderful service that you provide. It's available on your website and on every other podcast marketplace that's available, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store. Um, this is just another wonderful way for folks to get tips from you. Well, we hope folks will utilize that. That's why it's there for to, to try to educate folks. Excellent. And you also have a book out, Money Secrets. If folks want to look that up on Amazon, Money Secrets with Bill and Mike, just search that. And uh, it's a wonderful tool for you 
to learn some more tips and save your money. That's what Bill uh, helps people do, and we appreciate that. We are out of time for today, but we hope you'll join us again next Saturday at 11. It's Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful weekend.